It's good to be back with you. Even after a couple weeks away, it's good to be back with you in our church family. We just uh, miss our family so much when we're on the road. Something I noticed, though, it's beautiful, beautiful summer day today. We've had some windy mornings, some cool mornings. But driving back from visiting Matthew in Saskatoon and spending some time there, we noticed, uh, Faye pointed out a couple places, look at those. We saw those things that early in August you hate to see. We saw trees with their leaves starting to change colors. And, you know, part of me is in such denial this time of year. I looked at that tree, I said, well, obviously the, the tree's sick. There's something wrong with that tree. It couldn't be, couldn't be that summer is slipping away so quickly. But that is the nature of August, isn't it? Technically, we're in, we're in summer season till September 20th or so. But it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like summer comes September 20th. It seems like uh, we have June, July, August, and they fly by. They just did. It rained all June. July was pretty good. The mosquitoes were biting. And now August is here already. It's gone so quickly. You know, I'm one of those people that I love the seasons, and I kind of feel bad for those that live in countries or climates where they don't have the real change in distinct seasons. They might have a rainy season or a dry season, but, but in uh, this part of the world, in the northern prairies, we are blessed with four distinct seasons. And I believe Scripture reveals to us that seasons, as everything in this world, were created good, they're a blessing from God, but something about seasons, whether it be the season in the weather, on the calendar, or in your life, is that seasons are temporary. That's what a season is. It's an appointed, set period of time. It comes and it goes. Now, when it's a wonderful thing like summer and we have a six-month winter uh, hanging over us, we, are, we, we don't want to see it go. But when it's a season of suffering or struggle or trial, knowing that seasons are temporary gives us hope. So over the next few weeks, we want to look at our lives through the lens of Scripture where it talks about the seasons of life, those things that we go through and how to embrace that not be in denial like me when I see the leaves starting to change. Just a little editorial note. If you always ask me what's my favorite season, it would be autumn. It just is. I love the crisp air, wearing a sweater, the beautiful leaves. The trouble in Canada is that uh, the leaves, as soon as they start looking nice, the wind comes up and they're gone. You can almost circle it on the calendar. The leaves fell off on this day, and that's a shame. But the seasons, they're a blessing when they're here, and they're missed when they're gone. And sometimes in life, that's what we do. We try to hang on to one season far beyond the time when we should be focusing on the season that God has given us and make the most of it. So whether we're in a particular season or whether we're somebody that can encourage others who are in that season of life, we want to look at those over the next few weeks. Of course, when we talk about those periods of life that come and go, Scripture puts it so beautifully, so elegantly, poetically in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the first eight verses speak of the seasons of life. We're not going to read it every week, but at the outset of these four messages, I want to remind you of what Scripture says about seasons. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. 
a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There are seasons for all the aspects of life, but we want to look at the major eras of our lives, whether we be young, middle-aged, or older in years, we want to look at those beginning today with the first of the seasons, springtime. Springtime. I love springtime. I love the smell of it. I love the smell of the blossoms. The blossoms, which are the promise of the fruit that will come on that particular plant. It's a wonderful time. If you ask somebody to describe spring with one word, they'll say things like fresh, new, beginnings, awakenings. It's all positive. Isn't spring amazing that way? Where autumn has that poignant, sad feel about it that something is over and you're almost grieving the summer that's gone by. The season in the sun's finished. Now the cold, now the clouds, now the plants, they go into hibernation or they're gone. They pass away. But not with spring. Spring is forward-looking. In that area of life, we need to celebrate it and really encourage those who are in springtime of life. Now, I want to look at it in three basic areas before we come to the communion table this morning. First, spring is a season, humanly speaking, of education. It's a season of education. Boy, we take those little kids, and it's been so fun having all of our grandkids together this weekend. Uh, They go from little Owen, who's about two, to Isaiah, who's going to be a teenager before we know it. You know, we have about a decade of grandchildren ages in there, and you see how quickly they change in that brief period of time. They go from being basically little hairless bear cubs, you know, not knowing anything, little wild creatures, to being fully formed humans. It's amazing. You have to teach them so much. I commend you, moms and dads, school teachers. You've got an enormous job. So big, in fact, that I think if we sat down and thought about all that you have to teach these little critters to make them be a fully formed human, oh boy, you just throw up your hands and give up. But it's part of life. We do it naturally. I love watching people naturally training up and teaching children through example, through instruction. It's fascinating to me how little children can learn. At that point in life, their brains are like sponges. They're able to absorb languages and concepts that get much harder for our older brains to take in at a later point in life. It's an amazing thing. And you know, at this point in life, I think there's few things that are a bigger blessing to children than having godly parents, parents who love the Lord. And so among the other things they teach you, like how to dress yourself, how to cross the street safely, how to feed yourself, 
how to interact with other people, all the things that all parents need to teach their children. They also teach about the eternal spiritual aspect of life, the relationships not only with people, but most of all a relationship with God that will hold them uh, in, in His hands throughout their lives and change the quality of their lives forever. Proverbs chapter 3. I love the beginning of the book of Proverbs. It's written as a parent speaking to their child, giving important instruction to the child. Scripture takes very seriously your role as parents and grandparents as instructing your children about the important things of life. Oftentimes we think in our secular age that all the instruction is we give that to the school teachers. Oh no, the important things are, are really learned at home. In fact, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, the author writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Godly, loving parents, their instruction and their example is key. In fact, it's foundational to God's people. As God formed His people, the nation of Israel, He made that foundational. Not only would the Word of God be their guide and instruction, but it was to be taught at home. Of course, they taught it in school, at synagogue, at the temple, in other places. But the best teaching, I believe, began and took place at home. Deuteronomy chapter 6, that foundational passage. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Impress on your children the importance of the commands of the God who loves us and cares for us. Now, I believe springtime, well, if you want to put years on it, that's difficult because spring, it's different for different people. Some of us, uh, times of preparation can last much longer, as we'll see in just a few minutes. But generally speaking, it's the youth. It's the early age. Unfortunately, in Western society, in this in insane media that bombards you every day they try to tell you the only important thing is youth where i tell young people i tell kids i say now be be aware of the fact that you're an abnormal part of life youth is this tiny little slice of life the springtime season is not that long i say you are gonna i ask them how old is old 30 <laughs> i laugh how old is old well are you old when you're 20 to little kids oh yeah you're old you're you're so old i say you are going to be old far longer than you're going to be young in this life think about that if god blesses you with a long lifespan you are what the world thinks of as old far longer than you were ever young why do we not stress that and embrace it and in grow the quality of it and learn the value of it when youth which is basically busy just becoming human we just make that the end all and be all don't get me started but <laughs> the important point i want to make is youth and springtime is so strategic spiritually more than any other area children are the ones 
whose hearts are soft toward God. Think about it. How often do you see that crusty old bachelor down the road uh, give his heart to Jesus and have a come-to-Jesus moment, walk the sawdust trail? It is rare. It is rare. It doesn't take us very long to harden in our attitudes, have hard hearts like the Pharaoh of Egypt. No matter what miracle God brings our way, what wonderful message of grace Billy Graham shares on the television, it bounces off of you like you're wearing a bulletproof vest. Children are soft-hearted, and they respond to love. And the good news of the gospel is a message of love and grace. And I don't think the Western church takes that seriously. We're starting to. But when I was a boy, kids were still there sort of to be seen, not heard. Sure, they would send us off and drill us in the books of the Bible and so forth, but it was best to get us out of the way so the important part of church could begin. That's why junior church is important. You know that most people who are going to receive Christ have already received Him by the time they're 10 or 11 years old? The majority, 51%. By the time they're out of their teens, 75% of people who are going to ever receive Christ have already asked Him into their hearts. As we get older, that proportion gets smaller and smaller and smaller. If the church focused strategically on winning people to Christ, the vast majority of our effort would be one equally divided between children's ministry and youth. Now, fortunately, a lot of our, in fact, most of our volunteers in Troshu Baptist Church are involved in children's ministry. But you see right now, youth is coming with hat in hand, begging for volunteers. Look at the statistics. Half of the people of that 75% before 20 who receive Christ do so during those important youth years, those teen years. Springtime is so important for spiritual education and coming to know Christ. It's so key. Not only is springtime the season, humanly speaking, of education, but I believe it's a season for direction, a season for setting the direction of your lives. We're preparing the kids and the young people to begin to make those key life choices. And for every choice you make, for depending on what you choose, you close the door in another area of your life. So it's so important. What's one of the questions we ask young people again and again, especially when they're little, but throughout their youth as well? What are you going to do in your life? What do you want to be when you grow up? Now, that sounds like a little cute throwaway question like Art Linkletter used to ask on television when kids say the darndest things episodes were on. But that's important. We're asking children to begin to set direction in their lives. I've shared it before, but I remember distinctly, it was probably about grade four. My teacher had a strange name, Mrs. So no, Ms. We moved to California. Her name was Ms. Sodaberry, Ms. Sodaberry. And Ms. Sodaberry took all of our school pictures. We had school pictures. She got like black and white uh, copies of all of our, our individual photos. And we cut our little heads out of those pictures and then we drew 
what we were going to be as adults, <clears throat> and we pasted our heads into the pictures. Let me tell you, there were fire trucks with people in the cabs. There were, there were space capsules. There were kids walking on the moon. There were scientists curing cancer. <laughs> I drew a cab over 18-wheeler, and I was going to be a truck driver. <laughs> that, was my, that was my highest aspiration, to drive truck. <laughs> Oh, I fell far short of that, let me tell you. I wound up a pastor. But that's the direction I wanted to go. I wanted a, not, a, not a big Mack truck, a cab over for some reason. I wish I still had that picture. It, it's very informative. But direction. It's hard to make a course correction. It's hard. And it gets harder the further down the road you get. In springtime, kids have lots of directions they can go in life. And as parents and grandparents, we look at them to see how God has created them and made them and what they are suitable for, what will give them joy, what is their passion. And if they know Jesus, how can they best serve Him to live a life of meaning and abundance? Which direction are they going to go? Well, Proverbs chapter 22 says that we need to help them as parents and guides. Verse 6 of Proverbs 22, the familiar verse says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. We're talking about direction. And part of that, of course, is from Scripture. Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. We teach children to help them set direction based on the Word of God. That's a key. It helps them so much. Not only that, but the greatest decision they're going to make, as we mentioned earlier, and it's most often made in the springtime of life, is to follow Christ or not. Jesus, in one of the most powerful passages in the Gospels, says in Matthew chapter 7, it's sobering. Jesus, in the book of John, John chapter 10, speaks of himself as the gateway to knowing God. He is the gate through which the sheep enter, the gateway of salvation. Jesus says in John chapter 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Most people are on a pathway to destruction. Eternal separation from the God who loves them. All that is good, they leave behind. The descriptions of being lost, eternity apart from God, in hell. Scripture tries to put it in words. But they fall short. Because our minds can't conceive of how awful it would be to be separated from God. Everything in this world that is good, that you enjoy, is a gift from God. And when you're apart from all of that, what is left? But this is the road that so many are on. They have set a direction in life. It's hard to leave. I believe those exits off the road to destruction, they become fewer and fewer as time goes by. Oftentimes, we put all of our effort into adults. As we see, there's a great response to the Dominican Republic right now. And in other countries and other cultures, that can often take place. But in our culture, Canada in the 21st century, it is rare. So we need to focus on springtime. Take that serious 
and give of our best in these areas of children and youth. Wide is the road to destruction. Narrow is the road to life, and few find it. Friends, I believe that in setting direction, there's few things more powerful in the life of a young person than the example that others set around them. They look to you, grandmas and grandpas, people in the church, leaders in their youth group, to see Jesus in your heart and in your life. As you see, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Pastor Dave mentioned this in a message recently, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, we're reminded, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now remember, this was a time of persecution when many were were being tempted to turn away from Christ and go back to their way of life where they were lost. Consider the outcome of their life. It may be difficult in this world, but in the end, there's life everlasting with Christ. The example that you set is so important. It's such a key in helping kids set a direction for their life, a general direction. Now, for some of us, We're only in this area going to be mentors, examples for people who are in the springtime of life. But in another area, it may still be in a corner of your life. It may still be springtime. The blossoms may still be on the tree because I'm talking about spring in our lives as a season of preparation. Some of you may be in a job, a vocation, but God has something else coming for you. There will be a change in your life that you can serve Him in a completely different way. It shouldn't surprise us because when I was a kid going through Bible school and into seminary, that's what most of us did. Kindergarten, elementary school, high school, college, seminary, church. We never took a break. But what we've found for many years is that most people, men and women in ministry today, it's not their first vocation. They are second career, third career people. God has made a change in them. They have had a time of preparation in their lives that's ongoing. And that may be the situation with you as well. Thank you, Brother Ken. (laughs) The fan is turning the pages of my Bible. I'm trying to get away from that. You know, when God is preparing us for a job, a big job, an important job, those preparation times are essential. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10 says this, If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. That's important even today. Recently, someone in our church had a number of trees down, and they were trying to cut those trees up with a chainsaw, a dull chainsaw. After it was sharpened, the job was so much easier. Even technology. This lesson of Scripture is not lost. Billy Graham once told a group of seminary students, the years you spend in preparation are so vital. He says, these are not wasted years. God is at work. And if you don't prepare, you will not achieve all that God wants you to achieve in your lives. Preparation. And this begins 
when we're young, but it can continue for many, many years. We need to work throughout our lives to be in God's Word, to understand it, not to misquote it, not to misunderstand it, but to handle the Word correctly. That's the teaching in 2 Timothy, the key verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. As the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And he was writing to Timothy in full-fledged ministry, keep working, keep preparing. Because the truth is, friends, that we want to be lifelong learners. We don't want to leave that behind and think that I've learned everything. That we old dogs can learn new tricks. We want to be lifelong learners. Because I'm a believer that in life, you're either continuing to grow at some area in your life. We know as we age, we let some things go. But we need in our relationship with God and others to be moving forward. You're growing or you're dying. There's no two ways about it. And I finish before we go to the communion table. I just want to remind you of some key people in Scripture. Look how that area of preparation, that aspect of spring continued far into their adult years. Could this be the case with you? First, we look at Moses. What are some incidents in his life? He was born a Hebrew, in the house, but was raised in the house of a Pharaoh. Look at his story in the arc of his life, how God was at work preparing him and making him who he was throughout his life for a great job in the distant future. But he learned from Jethro, the priest of Midian. He learned about the true God. He learns the skill of a shepherd in the desert, leading in the desert. Do you think that was going to come in handy? Moses probably thought he was wasting his life for decades leading smelly goats and sheep in the desert. But oh, those lessons, boy, they came in handy. But he learned that fiery prince of Egypt learned humility. He learned patience. And God called him after 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. He did not begin his great work for the kingdom of God until he was 80 years old. That area of growth and preparation that hint of spring must continue in our lives, trusting God for something great in the future. Well, it didn't take him 80 years, but I think of King David, the ideal of kings for the people of God, whose throne Jesus occupies forever and ever. David began his life like Moses as a shepherd of his father's sheep, but he defended the flock. He learned to be a protector, whether he be a bear or a lion, he was able to protect him. He took his abilities learned as a shepherd, as a young shepherd boy with a sling, and by faith he faced Goliath with a sling and five stones. I see his life's journey and the skills he developed in secular living that were going to be used for the kingdom of God. What is God developing in you that can be used for his glory? He had a heart of worship. He was a gifted musician and psalmist. But God called him and anointed David probably when he was about 15 years old. And after that anointing to kingship, David had to wait 15 years to be crowned. And even that was only as king of Judah. He had to wait 22 years to be recognized and crowned as the king of Israel. 
22 years after his anointing. And those years were not easy. They were marked by victories, trials, testing. For a season, he was rejected by Israel on the run, an outlaw, and took refuge among the enemy Philistines. It was not easy. But God never left him. He was preparing him. Nothing was wasted. It all was sharpening him for the ministry that lay ahead. The Apostle Paul, oh boy, what a life he lived. He was a Hellenistic Jew from Greek society and a Roman citizen. He had all of the the benefits and bona fides that that brought in his time. But in his heart and religiously, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a zealous persecutor of the early church, the Christians, until Jesus met him, knocked him off his horse, and changed his life and direction on the road to Damascus about the year 32 A.D. We think of Paul. Next you see him, he must have been a missionary. Saul became Paul and off he went. No. After meeting Jesus, he withdrew completely. He went to the deserts of Arabia for three years to work through what it meant in his heart and faith for Jesus to be God and Messiah. He spent maybe 15 days, he says in Galatians and other places, with the apostles, met with Peter just briefly. But then it was almost a decade in his home area around Tarsus and Syria and Cilicia until Barnabas remembered that former persecutor turned Christian and how gifted he was. And they brought him, they brought him to the church in Antioch. And from there they laid on hands and he became the greatest missionary in church history. All those years, Arabia, the desert, Syria, Cilicia, they weren't wasted. God was making him and preparing him for some great work. I believe that there's not a person here that God has finished with. No matter what season we would call ourselves, whether it be summer or fall, winter, God's not done with you. In some corner of your life, the blossoms still need to be there. The leaves still need to be tender and green. God isn't done with you yet. He's not. At this point in our service, friends, I'd encourage you to fetch the elements you want to share together as we come together to the Lord's table. As we do that, let's prepare our hearts in a word of prayer and ask God to Bring us now, speak to us from His Word as we have heard His Word this morning, but also to encourage us in Jesus' great love for us as we come to the communion table. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. Oh, Lord, You are a God who creates beautiful things. You have made all things beautiful in their time. And Lord, we are a people in time. We are a people of seasons And Lord, whatever season we are in today, spring, summer, autumn, or winter, Lord, may we know you and trust you, embrace our season, and glorify you in it. Lord, we thank you for your love, which gives us hope. Lord, we thank you for your love, which never leaves us. Lord, you've reminded us of your presence this week as we hear how you undertook for the girls on the river during the youth retreat, how you brought them safely from the water when it could have ended so tragically. Lord, you are a loving and a good God. 
Nothing is too large or small for you. And we thank you for that. Lord, this morning, open our eyes. Give us a self-awareness so that we can see your hand of love at work in our lives, how you have prepared us and how you made us, our personalities, our histories. Lord, and you continue to prepare us to serve you and to be fruitful in the kingdom of God. So Lord, as you do that today, may we celebrate the reason for all our seasons. It's Jesus and his love for us. He took us from darkness to light, from death to life. He took away the hopelessness and gave us assurance through knowing him. And Father, we celebrate that day, as, as, that all as we come today to the communion table. And we just pray, Lord, that in this, that you would renew us, refresh us, and draw us closer to one another and closer to you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are so thankful for the love of Jesus shown to us. He took the elements at the Passover meal and gave them the fulfilled meaning that they have. He took bread. I encourage you, if you have a fellowship cup, to peel back the cellophane and take the wafer. It reminds us, as the element does, of the the body of Jesus given for us. As we come to share it, Jesus told us, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. As we remember the body of Jesus given to the cruel cross, we also remember the blood that Jesus shed there, the blood alone which could wash away our sin. Carefully peel back the foil on the top of the cup as we reveal the element which reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus. As we take our cup in hand, we're reminded that Jesus, at the end of supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand together as we are dismissed from this time of um, learning God's word and sharing together in fellowship as he dismisses us to our places of ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful summer morning. We thank you for the reminder of the seasons, Lord, how you work in the lives of your children as well. Lord, help us to, Lord, focus on and help the young ones. As Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Lord, may we facilitate that with our love, our examples, our instruction as they set lifelong directions toward heaven 
throughout their lives. Lord, thank you for the time we've been able to share in fellowship in your word with one another and around your table as Jesus reminds us of his great love for us. Dismiss us now, Lord, with your blessing, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless.